Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. You are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. And this hour, we are looking at Twitter and Elon Musk, who has managed to put together a deal to buy Twitter for $44 billion. Whether you're on Twitter or not, things that are said on the social media platform can influence our culture, politics, and power. And we want to hear your reaction to Twitter agreeing to sell the company to Musk or what questions it raises for you. You can call us at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can post your thoughts on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us forum at kqed.org. And joining me now is Bobby Allen, a technology reporter for NPR. Bobby, thanks so much for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. And first, just remind us of the nuts and bolts of this deal, which still requires shareholder and regulatory approval. But but what's on paper, basically? Yeah, so um, Elon will be taking over the company. And like you said, we do have some approvals that we have to get through. And, you know, he is putting a third of his Tesla stock, um, you know, he's sort of leveraging that as a way to take the company over. His plans, um, you know, some of them are kind of murky, but he has provided some clues as to what he hopes to do. He wants to take Twitter, which is, of course, now a publicly traded company, private. He wants to make it a place of more free and open expression. He wants to radically revamp content moderation so that more types of speech are allowed on the platform. And he wants to open up the algorithm that powers, you know, what goes viral on Twitter, uh, make that public. So anyone could sort of inspect it and check it out and hopefully gain some better insight as to how exactly Twitter operates. Well, if he wants to also launch a war on bot armies, which is also something he brought up, I'm not sure how allowing Twitter's algorithms to go public is going to stop that. But what you're laying out basically is what the user experience or how it might change for people who use Twitter. So can you just talk a little bit more about how the types of things that uh, he is thinking about doing could affect the way people experience the platform? Absolutely. So right now, Twitter has one of the most sophisticated content moderation regimes, um, you know, among social media companies. I mean, they have thousands and thousands of content 
content moderators who are taking down abusive, toxic content, content that's making, you know, threats, incitements to threats. They flag tweets that potentially contain misinformation. And Elon doesn't like that. I mean, Elon Musk, you know, his political views, we could sort of put a pin in that because that's another sort of discussion. But we know that he is a so-called free speech absolutist. And he thinks if there's something that's sort of in the gray area of Twitter's rules that just let it be on Twitter, as long as it doesn't break any laws, let it be on Twitter. So what would that mean for users? I mean, it could unleash a flood of really unpleasant, really harassing, really trolly content. It could make Twitter almost unusable, really spammy, a not very fun place to go. I mean, arguably Twitter right now is not a very fun place to go. But if you open the floodgates to just wild, dark, ugly, harassing content, it's just going to be a really uncivil place. Yes, I was reading a piece by Erica D. Smith, a columnist at the LA Times, who noted uh, the anti-black discrimination lawsuits against Musk and this question about, you know, what kind of harassment against people of color, women, other marginalized groups could be unleashed, as you say. That said, Bobby Allen, I, I imagine Musk has an interest in making sure that it doesn't become just a terrible or more terrible. It's not to say that Twitter has not been uh, an ugly place before, but an even worse place to be. Yeah. I mean, look, he said from the get-go that he's not in this to make money. I mean, he is the richest person in the world, and he he owns (laughs) and operates a number of very successful profit-making businesses already. He is he is in this. He, the reason why he acquired Twitter is he wants a nice slice of internet real estate. I mean, some people have called Twitter the sort of comment section of the internet, right? Everyone goes there to see what everyone else is saying, to see what news is going to break. And now that Elon owns it, it just it's a clout boost, right? It gives him a little bit more status. It makes him a little bit more relevant. And yeah, to your point, I mean, I don't think Elon is not dumb enough to to say, oh, yeah, let's make it a place that sort of resembles the darkest corners of the Internet, because that would (laughs) that would turn off the 200 million people who are who are using it um, every day. That said, there's likely to be if, if, if he's true to his word, there's likely to be let's say, very edgy conversations on there that maybe you don't see there now and and comments that are harassing and targeting people, there might be more tolerance for that than there is now. Hmm. Well, let me go to callers again, 866-733-6786, the number, and Jesse in Mountain View join us. Hi, Jesse. Hi, this is Jesse. My comment is that now that Musk is buying Twitter, I, I, oh, oh, my dog is barking. Uh, I think that Twitter, Hey, Jesse, I'm so I'm sorry. You broke up a little bit there right after your dog barked. What were you saying? I follow 15 people on Twitter, one five, and I just uninstalled the app. And uh, I'm wondering where will I find the 15 people I follow? Like most prominently AOC, where will I follow her? Like we must go somewhere else now. Mm. What yeah. are you hearing in terms of uh, an exodus from Twitter? As Jesse just said that he... Uh, He's off of it as a result. Yeah, that's that's a provocative question. I mean, some are speculating now that if it really does become a sort of cesspool to the point where people can't even use it to get basic information to follow your favorite uh, politicians or whoever, um, maybe there will be an alternative that pops up. Some other startup that says, hey, we have a Twitter like service, but we actually have content moderation and you can go there and not be harassed. So I haven't heard anything just yet about a sort of mass exodus of users from Twitter, but people are 
already talking about what alternatives uh, might emerge. And can this be an opportunity for there to be a Twitter rival if Elon takes it in a direction that turns off most of the user base? So these are things that people are debating and thinking about. But as of now, I haven't heard of, uh, you know, users in a sort of um, in, in, a, in huge numbers uh, sort of leaving the platform just yet. Well, one of the big questions is whether or not Trump will come back, yeah. whether or not Twitter would reinstate Trump under Musk. Yeah, that's right. And, um, you know, Elon has not publicly addressed the Trump question, as it were. But during an all hands meeting yesterday, a Twitter employee asked the CEO, is, is, is former President Trump coming back to Twitter? And the answer was basically, look, that's not for me to decide anymore. That is solely up to Elon Musk. If he wants to invite Trump back to Twitter, then so be it. Now, uh, Trump, for his part, did an interview yesterday with Fox News saying, oh, I have no interest in going back to Twitter. You know, Trump has now started his own alternative social network called Truth Social that isn't going very well. But uh, former President Trump says he wants to focus on that enterprise and not go back to Twitter. But um, will he be true to his word? I think that's uh, that's a real question. Well, let me go to caller Dorothea in Berkeley. Hi, Dorothea. Hi. Uh, my concern is that Twitter uh, can become a hate speech uh, platform. Nothing is going to prevent Musk from doing what he wants. He's the only person who's going to own it, or maybe there's another person. But there's no um, th there's no legislation uh, to keep Twitter in check, and that's something that we have to work on in Congress. How do you see us attaining that goal? Uh, other publishing entities are regulated. Why not Twitter? Hmm. Well, you're raising a couple of interesting points, Dorothea. One being, it, I mean, it will require vigorous content moderation not to become what Dorothea is describing there in terms of just hate speech, um, in terms of like a majority or large proportion of what goes on on Twitter. And then the other piece of this is I'm also wondering if you are thinking that this might actually be an impetus for, for greater regulation of platforms like Twitter. Yeah, that, that Right. So that, that, is, that is something, again, that um, that there's some buzz about now that is this going to sort of um, hasten regulatory scrutiny of, of companies like Twitter? I will say that there's already quite a lot of regulatory scrutiny in Washington. I mean, the Biden administration and the FTC led by Lena Khan, you know, really are you know taking a hard look at, at big tech companies. And Twitter is not a big tech company in the traditional sense. It has a lot of influence and people know about it. But um, in terms of its value, it's a fraction of the size of like Google and Facebook. Book. But um, yeah, I think I think this does trigger a lot of questions about whether this is going to just speed up the regulatory process. And up to, to the caller's point, which is a good one, Elon Musk taking it private and being the owner is a less accountable Twitter. It just is. I mean, right now, Twitter, um, you know, has to respond to shareholder pressure, right? Um, they're a publicly traded company, meaning they have disclosure requirements that a pr private company um, does not have. And so this is consolidating a lot of the decisions and a lot of the power in one person, Elon Musk, who we all know is a mercurial very unpredictable, erratic kind of guy. And to employees and to users and to others, that is just sort of a terrifying proposition. Well, Charlie writes, another blow has been struck against democratic public discourse. It gives more power to thuggish trolls from Trump to Bannon and Musk himself. It's all about power. Well, I hear your point, Bobby Allen. Twitter is not just a, a U.S. platform. It's an international platform. And there are also regulations in Europe, do you think that that will provide, you know, some protection as well against this becoming a cesspool, for lack of a better word? Yeah, yeah. So um, 
we'll, we'll see exactly how, how it plays out in Europe. And, and, and Europe does have a more sophisticated and mature regulatory regime than the U.S. And the U.S. often uses legislation in the EU as a sort of blueprint for what we're doing here in the States. But um, taking your question and, and sort of zooming out even more, I think the question of how does an Elon Musk controlled Twitter affect other parts of the world is a really, really, really important question. I think too much of the discourse has focused on how it's going to affect U.S. politics and American users. Um, but something like 80 percent of Americans don't even use Twitter. Right. It's, its audience is largely global and especially in, in parts of the world that have, you know, are under sort of autocratic regimes. I mean, what is this going to mean if if the platform can now be flooded with myths and disinformation that could potentially stoke civil wars and violence and who knows what else? Again, we don't exactly know how this is going to play out, but, you know, scholars of misinformation and online speech are really, really on edge and concerned about what this is going to mean in, in a global context. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding Understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Well, let me go to Shira in Oakland. Hi, Shira. Hi, you're on. I'm calling. I was wondering. Um, I don't know if the connection is good, but what is his, um, you know, end game? I hadn't heard you say that it's gonna, you know, give him cloud space. But is there more to this? I just feel like Twitter is gonna be like the next MySpace in a couple of years, and <laughs> I, I wanted to know where this is going and how this will evolve. And does absolute power, you know, corrupt absolutely? Um, I can take it off the air. Thank Shira, you. thanks, thanks. It's an interesting question, Bobby Allen, in terms of, you know, what is this? What does he want out of this? I mean, I think you mentioned earlier that in some ways, or you alluded to the fact that in some ways it gives him cloud. It's kind of a vanity thing to some degree. But uh, but yeah, <laughs> what do you yeah. think what Shira's asking here? Uh, yeah. So, uh, again, we, we, we I wish I had an x-ray to get inside of Elon Musk's mind. <laughs> you know, for sure, you know, what exactly he wants to do with Twitter. Um, don't know. Don't know. But I mean, I will say if, if he, he thinks anything he touches turns to gold. And and look, there's there's a lot of legitimate criticisms of, of Elon Musk, but he did build the most valuable car company in the world with Tesla, just as he was sort of running a lap around NASA and sending rockets to space with these huge government contracts. He is a successful entrepreneur who has almost a, a, a peerless track record. Right. So um, there's the, the personality of Elon who likes um, tr- you know, who likes trolling people sometimes, making fun of people and sending out memes. And then there's the sort of business side of Elon that's that's really likes playing hardball. And as someone put it yesterday, you know, Elon Musk 
would rather die than lose. So he really sees this as a way of winning. He really sees this as a way of, um, you know, really putting his finger on the scale of online speech, which he thinks right now involves too much censorship. Um, and again, he's kind of exaggerating when he says that because it doesn't take very long on Twitter to see that all sorts of kind of all sorts of discourse is allowed on Twitter right now. But he just really wants to change the paradigm of online speech. And he thinks this is the best way to do it. Well, I think it is interesting that you're citing how he uses Twitter, too, to some extent to show why or what he might want out of it. We're talking about Twitter's decision to sell the company to tech billionaire Elon Musk with Bobby Allen, business reporter who covers Silicon Valley for NPR. We're talking about what that means for the platform. And you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Let me read this comment from Alex, who writes, since mass media first existed, there have been wealthy, opinionated people seeking to use those platforms for their own purposes and government attempting to control them in its own best interest and sometimes in the interest of its citizens. Musk is wealthy, opinionated, egotistical, unstable, and generally uninterested in the greater good. As with current Twitter owners, Zuckerberg, at Meta, and so on, governments need to control what information they are and are not allowed to publish, and we need to control the governments, not fundamentally different from the days of William Randolph Hearst. You can respond to what Alex is saying, but I also just want to point out that we users can control what we say on mm -hmm. the platform. And sometimes we just need a good reminder about that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I think it, it's not my role to exactly weigh in on, on that that policy proposal. But I mean, I, I will say in talking to, uh, you know, speech experts, there is a lot of real concern about too much government involvement when it comes to speech. I mean, imagine if President Trump had the power to sort of control what was and was not allowed on Twitter. And even someone who isn't President Trump, you don't really want uh, a political actor to have, even if they're elected by the people, to have the power over um, speech online, right? That that does disturb a lot of people because there's a lot of ramifications there that um, are kind of um, scary, right? So um, I don't I don't know necessarily that that's the best path forward uh, for Twitter, but I mean there are real questions about you know what are Elon Musk's speech boundaries? Does he have them? What do they look like? Who and and who does that include and who does that leave out? And and those are the questions that people like me and and scholars who study um, you know, social media are, are really training our attention on right now. Well, one group we haven't talked about yet is Twitter employees. How are you seeing them reacting or what impacts are you seeing? Yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah, there's there's something like 7000 Twitter employees. Uh, many of them are in the Bay Area and there's sort of mixed reactions. I've been in touch with a handful of them. Some say they're sort of ambivalent. Some um, adamantly, you know, are adamantly opposed to this Elon Musk takeover. Um, some are actually cheering it on. There, there's this app that's popular among tech workers called Blind. It's sort of this anonymous chat service, and you're, you're only sort of allowed in it if you're uh, an employee in the company. And th there was a poll on this app asking, like, how do we feel as Twitter employees about this Elon Musk takeover? And almost 50 percent of them said they were sort of indifferent. And there is, uh, you know, some said again, they don't want it. Some said they do want it. But that's sort of notable to me that half are just kind of like shrugging and saying, let's just see how it goes. Um, but the ones who are really 
unsettled by the Elon Musk takeover worry about culture change, right? I mean, having Elon Musk control Twitter is might change the direction of the company, might change what it's like to work there. And then there are other issues about what does this mean for their stock, which can be, you know, in the tech world, 50% of your compensation. I mean, he bought out Twitter, uh, pending regulatory approval, of course, for $54.20 a share. But, you know, last year at, at, at its height, it, you know, Twitter was was trading at around $70 a share. So I think they're missing out. Employees think they're potentially missing out on earning and, and income potential. But the bigger concern that I hear when I talk to Twitter employees has to do with the culture change and has to do with, um, you know, the fears that morale is going to plummet and that there mm. might be an exodus from the company. Well, Rob writes, why aren't we asking why such wealth power has so much control in our supposed democracy? It's very interesting, Bobby Allen, the situation with Twitter and, and Musk's um, Musk takeover and Twitter agreeing to allow Musk to buy it is really raising, I think, questions and, and having people hold up a mirror to ourselves. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, of course. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Bobby Allen, business reporter who covers Silicon Valley for NPR. Thanks to our listeners for their questions and comments. My thanks to Susie Britton and Cesar Saldana for producing today's segment. You have been listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.